Welcome to episode 43 of the Mountainland Running Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hederscheidt from University of Wisconsin Sports Medicine. Unfortunately, I am without co-host today. Uh, Jeremy Stoker from Mountainland Physical Therapy was unable to join us today, but we will absolutely get him back for our next month's podcast. So uh, see you soon, Jeremy. All right, registration again, Mountainland Running Summit, the 2020 edition is open. So make sure you have a chance to log on to summit.mlrehab.com. Take a look at the uh, programming, the agenda that we already have on, on tap for October 1st through the 3rd uh, in Gra at the Grand Summit Resort in Park City, Utah. Got some fantastic speakers, a variety of, of topics, including what, you know, where, where's the current state of science and wearable technology, you know, what, when should people return to running after an ACL reconstruction and what does that look like? Um, and of course, you know, exercise tips uh, to, for rehabilitation of injured runners. So a lot of great information that, uh, as you know, we change every year. We have new speakers, new guests, new topics. And this year, I'm really excited to, to, uh, uh, for, the, for the program, the agenda that we've outlined. As usual, send questions and feedback to podcast at mlrehab.com. We certainly appreciate any feedback you send us, and we try to use that with our future episodes. All right, with that, today we are joined by Drs. Gary Helton and Don Goss, physical therapists with the U.S. Army. Dr. Helton has been an Army physical therapist for nine years and is board certified in sports and orthopedics. His research interests include injury prevention, particularly within military initial entry training population. He currently practices in Washington State at Joint Base Lewis-McChord. Dr. Don Goss has been an Army physical therapist for 25 years with research interests in running mechanics and injury prevention. He has received funding support for his work from the Department of Defense and currently practices in North Carolina at Womack Army Medical Center. So you bet you guys at this point are pretty much bookending the country. We got the East Coast represented and the West Coast. So welcome Gary and Don, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate that, Thank Brian. You. Good to be Thank on. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yes. for sure. You guys have done some great work in the area of running and running medicine. and. Uh, it just happened to stumble across one of your more recent papers that was fantastic when it came through my email feed. I thought it was a, it was a perfect opportunity to, to try to connect with you guys, and I'm, and I'm glad we've, you're able to carve the time out to, to join us today. Yeah, absolutely. Our pleasure. So maybe we can start with just a little bit of, of uh, backgrounds for each of you, if you don't mind just kind of introducing yourselves a little bit to our listeners in terms of where your your career background is and how what ultimately got you interested in in running and running medicine as an area of research yeah sure so i, I guess i'll uh i'll take the lead um so physical therapy definitely uh, something i've always been interested in um going all the way back to small town of hamilton mississippi um in high school uh, got into the army uh, was a medic for a few years and, and trying to uh you know get get through this up the stepping stones to the to the pt school piece um finally made it uh to the army baylor program uh, graduated that uh program in 2011 um by that time was married to my wife mindy uh, had a little boy corbin who at that time loved him to death but man Trying to study was uh, somewhat <laughs> difficult during those days. I would um, imagine so. <laughs> so from there, uh, after graduation, went on to Fort Benning. Um, I took the typical track, uh, staff PT in the Army, and 
I think just 2012, 2013, had my own clinic there uh, on Fort Benning. And uh, thereafter, uh, stayed on Fort Benning a little longer, but took a different role where I was the musculoskeletal action team leader. With, with that, I had the opportunity to uh, essentially be a brigade-sized element, several thousand soldiers um, responsible for their, their care and, and more so the uh, injury prevention. Um, this was an IET or initial entry trainee uh, brigade so they come to reception and and we uh you know we we don't know what we're going to get and we kind of try to figure out ways to identify what we have once we do get it and do it in a very mm -hmm. quick fashion and and uh, try to determine hey who's who's going to be successful and you know who do who might we need to spend a little more time with before we push them on so we you know we went through the whole rigmarole of trying to determine what assessment might be best so on and so forth a lot of us have done that right and mm -hmm. came up with one and uh, I think we had some success preventing injuries uh, and, you know I think this is this is kind of where my passion for uh, you know the screening piece and and trying to take care of these guys coming into the army because ultimately right they're they're the guys that are going to be fighting alongside and, and for us so uh, just yeah it's uh that's kind of my background there. From there, I, I got into the uh, sports medicine fellowship, and it's where Don and I got to know each other a little bit more. He was a director of the program there, and mm -hmm. this was uh, the end of 2015. Well, actually, I found out that summer, and uh, Don and I were talking earlier about the conversation we had. Um, so you find out you get in the program, and then you you know you got to figure out well what am I to, what am I to do as far as research <laughs> is concerned? Because that's one of the uh, you know, stipulations behind right. graduation. So, uh, so we talked, I said, yeah, I've done this screening piece and I've really enjoyed what I've done. And I think we've made a difference here. I'd like to continue down that road. If there's, if there's something relevant, you know, to do there at West Point. And he, he, you know, mentioned the idea that uh, our cadets were showing up there and they were going through basic training with whatever shoes they had on their feet when they showed up. So, you know, there was no acknowledgement or, or really much for guidance aside from just, have a relatively fresh shoe on that was broke in right so so then showed up there december and uh you know, did that for a year and a half we graduated in 17 went to el paso served as uh internship director uh within the army baylor program for a couple of years and uh see, last year came up here to jblm where i'm working now here in washington all right so Don, I would imagine that you had a lot of hesitation about bringing him on board as a fellow. That's my guess. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that conversation in 2015. You know, it was a beautiful day and I think in July and I was walking with my with my phone outside and enjoying the, the beautiful scenery, as you know, when you visited us. Yeah, you might have came in the winter time. It might have been cold then when you. Yeah, it was. It was a little nippy, but no, it was great. It's it's, it's spectacular scenery here, right? So I remember talking to Gary and, and hearing his interest, and I, I thought, well, that aligns with with what I would love to do, and so let's let's do it. Let's do an epidemiological large study, screen everybody. We have that opportunity in the first week when they're getting their their boots and their socks and their uniforms and all that stuff going through things and waiting in lines. We could just do this, uh, capture these variables, and then, you know, they're in a, that closed medical system, so you could, you could see what uh, what injuries shake out there. Yeah, yeah. You guys have. I mean, when you're talking about numbers of of of, uh, of individuals, what what sort of numbers are we talking about? Yeah. So um, this particular class, if I recall, 
we had 1,308 to be specific. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that's, and, that's crazy. Yeah. So we, you know, you know, I know you glimpsed over the, the study. Uh, we had 1,025 that uh, consented. And then, you know, how it goes, we, we got all the data we needed on uh, a large portion of those 827. So yeah, definitely nice, particularly with this type of research to have a large pool because you, you know, you, you never know, you kind of anticipate how many are going to get injured. You're not necessarily wishing on them, but right, you, right. <laughs> you kind of know what to expect. And, and, and you hope you have, you know, numbers that uh, are going to, you know, represent a, and a good, accurate, reliable answer yeah. to the question you're asking. Well, and the challenge, I think, too, when you're talking about the numbers that you just mentioned, 1,300 plus, trying to come up with a screening tool that can be done in a feasible way with that kind of number, right? You can't drill down and use something that is very time intensive and time consuming. It's got to be, you know, fairly quick, but to the point and objective and accurate still and meaningful. Um, and, and that's hard to do, <laughs> to find that combination of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's what uh, kind of makes, makes our, this research uh, unique, you know, to, to be able to pull something off uh, w with the external validity that we have, you know, we've got a lot, a lot of uh, small cohorts that have, uh, you know, been ran through uh, different tests within a lab, but to mm -hmm. be able to capture this, this population and, uh, you know, develop a device that's, you know, pretty user-friendly um, and portable. Yeah for us right the military has done a fair amount in um shoe wear right for for uh, at entry level whether it's um trying to decide maybe what type of running shoe might be best for them i know uh, uh napec is one of the epidemiologists in the military has done a fair amount in the area of shoe wear is that right Right, and Don may be able to speak on it a little better than I, but uh, actually, I'll, yeah, I've got uh, shoes here in the background. I've, I've oh, received yeah. from some of the guys over at Natick. Um, yeah, we're looking at measuring some of those and, and kind of seeing where they fall on that spectrum, uh, you know, the quartiles we developed from the minimal to the extreme torsion stiffness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. That's great that you're still doing that work, Gary. Um, yeah, when I when I was a lieutenant at Fort Jackson, the basic training site, we we were you know I was doing running shoe clinics, running shoe little at the, at the PX is our AFI store, like our exchange, you know where we buy our like our little mini Walmart, right on mm -hmm. on post, and so we. I noticed a lot of this is 1997. A lot of the kids were coming in with old, broken down shoes, and and some of them, you know, still had dirt on them from the farm, you know, wherever <laughs> they came from. And so talked about getting. I did a shoe recommendation for the General Van Alstine there at the time, and he said, you know, this this is great. My my legs feel better in these shoes that you recommended. It's like let's do this for everybody coming in through. And and I was just a, a lieutenant at the time. I said. Sir, you know, we, we should do a study, you know, we should, we should uh, let some of them come through with their regular shoes and we should give the, so we started matching up. We built these boxes with mirrors in them and yeah. plexiglass and they'd stand yeah. on these boxes, those static assessments, you know, it was the best yeah. we could do, think of at the time, you know, 97, 98. And so I said, we should do a study. Is this effective or not? And I asked to do a study, but, but the general was, at the 
time was, was like, no, I think we're just going to do this. It makes sense to me. Let's just do it. But I was glad that Joe Canape came back and did the stu those studies, you know, and said that, you know, just giving someone a, a stability shoe, a new shoe, a, yeah. a, a decent stability shoe is just as good as matching it. You don't need to match it to their static arch hiring thing that's that in the initial entry training environments in the army in the marines in the air force like gary talked about those iet yeah. centers so in that in that particular environment where they're not running marathons or anything yeah. like that you know it's just that that particular environment this basic training type of environment there so so that was that was uh, good the studies that you mentioned there well, that's fantastic. I didn't realize you were been involved at the at the grassroots level in that whole process. That's that's spectacular. Yeah, when I got when I got the scholarship to go back and get a PhD at uh, at UNC and study with Mike Gross, my wife's like, I can't believe you're going to get a PhD in, in running shoes, you know, running and running shoes. Like you've been doing running shoe clinics and things since I was a TT student. That was my project, you know, and played the Forrest Gump video, you know, and everything. Uh, and She's like, seriously, they're gonna pay you to go to go to school and do that. And I said, yeah, this is awesome. I love it. It's a great hobby, and I'm not a great runner or anything like that, but it's interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that's very cool. That's very cool. So let's let's dive into a little bit of the study that you guys have have uh, fairly recently conducted. Uh, again, this is for our listeners' purposes. This was published in the American Journal of Sports Medicine. Very. Uh, prestigious, highly ranked uh, sports medicine journal. Uh, this was published in 2019 in October of last year, uh, volume number is 47. And the title of the study is Association Between Running Shoe Characteristics and Lower Extremity Injuries in United States Military Academic Cadets. So really uh, nice study in the sense of how you put it together. But maybe talk through a little bit about what were the driving factors in the in the design of the study? Why did you settle on on the study design that you did and the key metrics that you did? Yeah, sure, Brian. So, so moving on from the conversation Don and I had, right? Uh, I went right and in, dove right into my lit review, and uh, after looking at several studies, Don, I remember showing that one to you. I think in November timeframe, and you know you had some trouble holding on to the, the heavy binder that I presented you there. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it kind of stopped me in my tracks because, you know, I wanted to look at shoes. We, you know, at, by that point, we kind you know, we had an idea and, and we do at this point that, well, maybe the foot type and shoe type um, relationship, maybe that's not so important. Right. Um, so, so what am I trying to look at here in this shoe and how am I going to distinguish, distinguish one shoe from the next? What's important is, is it stiffness. Um, you know, and there's a minimalist shoe index out there, you know, mm -hmm. that describes different components of, of the shoe, you know, or, or we can mm -hmm. pick one. Like you said, we have a large population, you know, we, we've got to make sure we hit it on the target. So, so I thought in talking to Don and talking to, you know, some of the other authors and some experts uh, in the field, we decided that we would look at longitudinal stiffness. We'd look at the heel height and, and we also ended up including length. Uh, uh, so once we, we tackled that, we, we had to figure out, well, how, how are we going to go about this? Yeah, right. What's out there? What's been used? And, you know, there's some studies and I mentioned a couple of them in the discussion uh, of the paper that have, uh, uh, attempted that again laboratory studies small cohorts mm -hmm. uh, so not necessarily something that would uh, be relevant and useful in this particular study 
So Don and I, um, I think it was January, February of 2016 timeframe, we took a stroll over to the, uh, the uh, engineer, engineering department over at West Point. And uh, we ended up speaking with uh, Becky Zifchot, who's mm-hmm. a professor over there. We spoke with her and, and we, uh, she linked us up with one of her students, um, an amazing student. She helped us out a ton. Um, and and uh, Frank Blackman, a model maker uh, in the department. And you know they helped us out a lot with the design and manufacture of this this shoe stiffness device that mm-hmm. we ended up putting um, all all our uh, subjects right shoe into and uh, you know, measuring that that stiffness and that heel height and uh, and the length and, and and developing the equation again. Becky was you know the driving force behind that and and the brains behind that piece. Um, so, you know, we, we finally, we got that, uh, together in just the nick of time before all the new cadets showed up mm-hmm. and, uh, we actually developed, I had six of them developed, um, had them set up on the table, ready to receive, um, and, in a warehouse there somewhere on, uh, West Point. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. And, and I think you're exactly what you kind of alluded to is what I've seen as well is when you can take advantage of the expertise around you, it just improves the study overall. And, and obviously there's a lot of talent at West Point and in, in various areas. And that's, that's, that's fantastic that you're able to pull that off. Read definitely. Yeah. So in terms of the, uh, um, enrollment and the inclusion criteria, did you end up obviously because you're talking about a, a fairly capture group of individuals right at a class or so were there any aspects of it that you needed to exclude individuals for well so yeah you hit it right on the head um you know the the acceptance criteria as far as the age pretty much dictated the population right that we would Mm -hmm. um, be including so there wasn't much to to figure out on that part we wanted to make sure that we didn't include anyone who had had a lower extremity or back injury within the previous three months uh, but with the screening that happens as, as they're coming in to west point uh, we we really didn't have to worry about it. we didn't exclude anyone um, based on our inclusion criteria um, the only loss losses we had um, within the study were due to you know data you know, missing gaps within the data yeah and that wasn't even too bad either it looks like maybe maybe 200 missing so to have a have a total set of around a little over 800 is fantastic yeah we we were definitely (laughs) definitely blessed to to be able to work with those numbers and then have that that kind of participation but uh you know blessed and, and then trying to use like don said trying to align our data collection with what happened to be their their boot fit day and, yeah. and uh, kind of be in the same building at the same time so that we could just hop in the line if you will and uh, you know capture it there right well and it's funny too in terms of timing of of the fact that we're doing this the, our pod the podcast right now the timing of it with the u.s olympic trials and uh, marathon uh, tomorrow uh, and how the, over this past year has just been a tremendous amount of excitement over footwear char- changes in characteristics and how they affect influence on performance. And here, when you guys did this study a, a handful of years ago, you were already on to the longitudinal stiffness concept. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm assuming you've patented everything and, and any, any world record that falls is due to your guys' work is what I'm guessing. 
Well, it, <laughs> it, it, it has been patented. Um, Michaela Soli, the, the student I mentioned earlier, she, she's taking care of that piece. There we go. Nice. Nice. So it, the, yeah, the, the, the device is really quite impressive in terms of measuring the stiffness on it. We had, um, in a former lifetime when I did a little more work with shoe companies and consulting in their design and whatnot, a, a torsional stiffness measurement was always a bit of a struggle and there were other units out there, but yours is actually quite elegant in how it's put together and, and what you're able to measure from it. So yeah, well done. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's, uh, it, was, it was quite the process going back and forth with, with Michaela and, and uh, Becky to, to trying to kind of meet in the middle on what we want and, and what we really realistically can achieve. Yeah. Know? So, so you, you made the measurements at baseline, you've tracked their injuries that occurred for subsequent, uh, how, over how many weeks or months did you track injuries? Right. So the cadet basic training, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Don, I believe it's right at seven weeks. And, um, so, so we wanted, obviously we wanted to track injuries during that window. Mm -hmm. Um, but also wanted to include a couple of additional weeks on the back end of that because we expected that we would get some stragglers coming in that yeah. might've been injured during cadet basic training, but had just kind of pushed through and gotten through the ruck march, you know, met with the family and then, then decided, well, I'm going to go get taken care of now. And sure enough, we did, we did capture several more with okay. that additional two weeks. Okay. So can you clarify for me how you guys defined injury? Because that's always an important criteria, I think, when we're talking about running injuries as to how, how it's defined. Absolutely. So um, we decided that uh, we, you know, we went back and forth, you know, how many, how many days, you know, uh, or, you know, where, where are we going to stand on this injury definition? So we decided to operationally define it as, you know, those occurring during the basic training window. Um, and that, and that holds true for those coming in after basic training, they had to, they had to occur during that window mm -hmm. and they had to be physically limited for three days or more. Okay. And, uh, I'll tell you that we, we also distinguish between acute and overuse injuries. And, and that's, I think that's a tough one too. Yeah. Right. And, and, and honestly, as we started looking through the records, um, myself and Aaron Miller, we, we started, we're going to kind of divide and conquer. But as I was going through, I was like, man, that, you know, to, to really um, maintain the integrity of this process, particularly the overuse versus acute, I think we just need to have, and the consistency, have one, one individual look through and, and decide if that's going to be overuse, for example, or, or acute. So we define it as those injuries with, you know, gradual onset, uh, secondary repetitive microtrauma. Um, and a couple of examples being running or, or marching in this case. Makes sense. It looks like based on your injury distribution, that you got pretty good representation across all the different areas, locations from foot all the way up to low back, um, some muscle tendon issues, some of the more common sort of uh, joint related things like the telephemoral pain, that looks like to be one of the more common ones. Absolutely. Uh, lateral ankle sprain is probably the most common one you have. And then of course, uh, shin injuries, right? That's, that's pretty common as well. Oh yes. Yes. Definitely in this population and, you know, even more so in the initial entry trainee population, you know, I found this population to be a little, a little different, you know, as cadets um, from yep. your basic trainees, but uh, yeah, a lot of the, 
a lot of the same injuries. Do you, do you ever have an opportunity? And again, I'm, I'm kind of going off from the study maybe a little bit, but do you ever have an opportunity to, to ask the cadets a little bit about their running history or their experience running? Does that ever come up in conversation or in the study? <clears throat> so it absolutely does in clinical practice, right? Yeah. And uh, again, you know, when we're trying to plan this thing out and how we're going to use our time and what we're going to gather and where we're going to draw the line, because we'd like to just have all the information, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but before they, before they took, you know, took the shoe off and, and we put it on the device, we did ask them how many miles per, roughly, how many miles per week they were running in the three months leading up to basic training. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say this, this information obviously wasn't in, wasn't in the, uh, the current study that we're discussing. Right. So it's not peer reviewed. So I wouldn't want to get too deep into the weeds with that. Um, but we did ask that and, and there were, there were of course some differences that kind of titrated out in those mm-hmm. who were injured versus those who were not injured in, in mileage ran per week and in, in the three months leading up to that. So hopefully more to come from that. Yeah. That portion. That'd be really interesting. So when they, when they're running during training, is it uh, uniformly uh, done? In other words, all 1300 cadets, for example, all have the same expectations on volume per week, speed maintained and such, or is there a little more individualization that occurs? So, so they are ability groups. They break into ability groups. Um, from, okay. Yeah, they are. A lot of it is still um, done with cadence you know, calling cadence in the yep. military, you know, when you hear them, it's like they're singing or they're, they're uh, oh, yeah. shouting, you know, as they, as they run. So it's not a, a release run. Like if you and I were just to go for a, a jog, you know, and so they're trying to maintain a, a cadence. They're trying to step with the song, you know, as it's being called. So that whether that's being called at a 165 or a 170 or, or whatever that is. Um, but so there's, it's interesting when we've asked them before, how was your, how was your running um, different in basic training? This pertains to basic training versus uh, when you used to run on your own. And I would say, well, I didn't run, I kind of ran differently a little bit. You know, it's a sort of a specific to a you know, basic training um, a cadet or yeah. army basic training thing because it, it, we have to definitely use that caveat there. Yeah. Well, it's really, it's good because a lot of times, I mean, there's some really excellent research that's been published on the, on the novice recreational runner. And I think in some regards, it's, you know, when you think of that, that basic training individual, there's probably a, a fair amount of similarity for some, not all, for sure, that are, you know, where running could be this fairly novel activity for them. Of course, I've had that question, uh, similar question, some you know, many times. You know, so did you track how much they ran in the shoes, you know, versus you know what they did in boots and so on and so forth? And and our explanation has been, well, you know, that was kind of inherently controlled for exactly um, because we're in basic training. However, I do think you know um, it would be interesting in, in future research to to go ahead and, and try to account for. Uh, you know, things such as heart rate, heart rate variability, you know, low, getting into the fatigue science piece. Um, mm-hmm. But again, that was not our, it's not our aim here. Um, we, we thought we had that under control. And again, you, you know how it is. You have to prioritize what are we going to capture? Um, you know, spend the time, the personnel resources capturing um, kind of bang for your buck. Yeah, exactly. Kind of 
All right. Well, it looks like we've, we have lost Don for a little bit for te some technical. Oh, he's coming back in. Looks like we've hopefully got the technical stuff fixed. Um, but maybe, uh, Gary, if you don't mind kind of kicking us off with a little bit of what your key findings were. Yeah, absolutely. So, again, um, you know, the objective was to uh, look at torsional stiffness. Again, we captured that in torsional stiffness and heel height. Uh, we captured that in 827 cadets. And because we really don't have anything reference-wise mm -hmm. to use uh, to, to kind of draw cut lines, I, I just sorted them from, you know, smallest to biggest um, as far as uh, <clears throat> the stiffness and the heel height. And mm -hmm. we, we produced, four, you know, quartiles and, and just tagged those, you know, minimal, mild, moderate, and extreme, okay. uh, both torsional stiffness as well as uh, – as well as the heel height. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the torsional stiffness, just as a side note, I, I know we didn't get into the actual you know, nuts and bolts of the device um, really, but um, we, you know, we, we put, put this device on this uh, shoe stiff, or we put the shoe on the shoe stiffness device. Um, we had a bolt you know, that had a little plastic plunger on it that we mm -hmm. essentially, with an 18 volt drill, dropped down into the heel of the shoe. Mm -hmm. um, had a plastic piece inserted in the shoe. When that um, plastic plunger made contact, clutch on the drill sli slipped. The drill was set to a you know standard standardized mm -hmm. one, mm -hmm. um, and that we measured the you know the the height of that bolt, the the change, the difference there, and that was our heel height. And then on on the front end of the shoe, you know we had a rear uh, sliding platform, and then we mm -hmm. had that front. Uh, uh, platform that would swivel called the mm -hmm. rotational platform so we'd slide that rear platform up a little bit as needed to get that rear that that rotational platform right there at the metatarsal brake so that when we torqued the front of that shoe at a stand you know a set 30 degrees um, and we'd get that readout from from the torque wrench there so we took that readout uh, from the torque wrench we multiplied that times the length and divided by the given the, the standard the constant 30 degrees mm -hmm. so that that being our our numbers that we kind of sorted and, and put in quartiles and what we what we observed was one we we, we looked at lateral and medial torsional stiffness right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so to to kind of describe that your your lateral torsional stiffness if you were looking at the front of the shoe and you grab around kind of the toe box and you twist you turned it if you turned it counterclockwise that would be lateral torsional stiffness mm -hmm. and then of course medial being the opposite of that so we we didn't find any significant differences as it relates to medial torsional stiffness however with lateral torsional stiffness we did find that those cadets wearing mild and moderate uh, shoes with mild and moderate lateral torsional stiffness were the cadets that did not get injured as often and that was significantly different from those wearing those shoes with minimal lateral torsional stiffness <laughs> and um and another interesting note is your your cadets wearing your stiff you know your max stiffness or your extreme extremely laterally tor torsional stiffness uh, or shoes with extreme lateral torsional stiffness were injured at approximately uh, relatively the same rate as those wearing those shoes with minimal lateral torsional stiffness. It's always a, a mouthful to say over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
CSM, it's been a battle a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, right. I would imagine it is. It is. But, it, but, it, but it's all important terms. Like you mentioned, you know, your, your quartiles that you assigned terms uh, and your four were mild, or sorry, minimal, mild, moderate, and then extreme. Um, and so those are your four quartiles. Is that correct? Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so basically the, the two, the two inner quartile range the, between your 25 and 75 percentiles, those who fell in between that area were the ones that had lower injury rates than those who were at the extremes on either end, minimal or extreme. Right. Exactly. And, and with that, we did control for, for gender, ethnicity mm -hmm. and previous history of injury and uh, those wearing those shoes mild and moderate lateral torsional stiffness were 36 and 49 percent less likely to experience an injury during that nine-week follow-up window and just just for clarification too was that was the analysis done with all injuries or did you start to do any sort of uh, subgroup analyses so it, it was just the lower extremity uh, yes but didn't do anything beyond that subgroup okay. analysis wise. Yeah. Which, which always gets tricky depending on, on the number of injuries you have and, you, and how, many, how many individuals you've enrolled. You, start, you see groups that do start to explore some of those subgroups and they probably shouldn't. Yep. <laughs> At least yeah, exactly. now with the real numbers. Yeah. Exactly, so we had 100, 150 injuries total, you know, and 88 of those were, were overused. So, uh, you know, if you, you kind of look at that overuse versus acute, you, you can see that some of those significant observations kind of fall out when we look at overuse versus injuries overall. And we yeah. think the big reason is um, the, the story is the numbers, right? And ability yeah. to see that, find those differences. And, and sorry, no, I was going to say ahead. that the heel height, um, yeah. I didn't mention the heel height, but oh, right. yeah, the, the observations, um, uh, we, we, we observed with heel height were, were somewhat similar, uh, not quite as strong as what we, what we observed with the lateral torsional stiffness, but we did see that those, those with mild and moderate uh, heel height, those wearing those shoes, did fare better uh, when, it, when it came to injury rates and, uh, you know, than the ones that were wearing those more stiff or, or least stiff uh, shoes. Hmm. Uh, or heel height, sorry. Heel heights, rather. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, no, that's 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 really good because there's not a whole lot of studies out there either with heel height. Uh, even though we start getting into like heel drop, for example, or and granted, yours was heel height, not a heel drop measure. Um, but I think that's that still kind of leads us in that direction for sure. Right, and, and that's an interesting concept as well. You know, we're talking about. You know, do you want to look at cushion? Do you want to look at drop? Do you want to yeah. look at you know, hide after you kind of hammer down a plunger into the shoe, you know, it's those decisions you, you just kind of have to make and go with. Yeah, exactly. So has, have your findings, has it changed practice at all within the military or is it, you think it, it may eventually? So, so locally at West Point, it did, we, did, we did were it? able to change policy there. Um, to the extent that, uh, you know, the cadets arriving there, they, they can't move into basic training with a minimalist type shoe. Now, hmm. how far they're going to, to uh, enforce that as far as I, I, it may be more of an eyeball test, you know, sure. I'm not sure about enforcement at this point, but I know um, that policy was put into place, um, you know, a, a year or so ago, probably at okay. least. It, um, so I mentioned that I had shoes here in my office and, and that's yeah. kind of why I have a mess right here. But um, 
so I've been, I've been in conversation with guys at Natick um, and, and, you know, the military kind of looking for, for one shoe really um, for, for, you know, initial entry trainees. And sure. uh, at first glance, that seems kind of, kind of wild, right? We, we want to put one shoe on everybody. You know? <laughs> I, I'm not sure how that's going to go. Right. But then I did this, did this study and I'm like, well, maybe, maybe we can find a kind of middle of the road, shoe or a couple of shoes maybe um mm -hmm. that, that might work for most um when you're talking about that that population going into training uh, so so working with the uh the soldiers clothing and uh configuration management team on um, getting these numbers for them so that they can kind of because the, the soldiers uh, they're already wearing these shoes so we just want to kind of see where they fall on as far as torsional stiffness and heel height and uh and, and, and maybe we can do some research with it and look, look at injury rates among soldiers that are already, already wearing these shoes in training. Yeah, well, that's great. So what sort of follow-up research do you guys have planned? Are you going to build off of this, or are you, have you had enough with, with footwear and going in a different direction with anything? <clears throat> right, right. Well, it's funny because we just, we, we just had a call a couple of weeks ago. Um, Ken Cameron, I don't know how familiar yeah. you, you are with him, but mm – -hmm. Kim was like, Hey, we, you know, we, we need to uh, take the next step, you know, let's cause, cause we collected foot, we, we looked at foot strike pattern. Um, we, we used an optigate to mm -hmm. capture spatial temporal variables, um, captured cadence, uh, of course. So now we're looking at running characteristics um, and, and we're going to kind of dive into that. And as it relates to injuries, we've already done some preliminary analysis, as you would suspect, associated with the defense and, and me getting out of the fellowship. Right? <laughs> um, but, but so we're going to dive into that a little bit. Um, and, and yeah, we're meeting in a week or two to, to kind of talk shop on that. That's great. That's really exciting stuff. I mean, yeah, you've got such a, a great uh, system that, you know, Don is, has had a number of, of graduates through the fellowship that have gone on to great things and really contributed some fantastic science to that program. So that's great to see you're able to continue that work, Gary. I appreciate that. And I agree. Don, Don has definitely done a good job and uh, he, he's done a lot for the profession and that, that's probably an understatement, uh, but absolutely. Yep. For sure. So what do you, so in terms of like a key wrap up sort of message that you want to leave for our listeners with respect to your study, I know it's, it's got a few different metrics in it, but is there any sort of a, of an elevator speech sort of summary that you want to provide? So I'd say, yeah, I, you know, number one, we, you know, we, with the help of the guys at West Point, Becky, Michaela, uh, put together this device, weighs probably 12, 13 pounds, very mobile, um, helping us to be more objective, you know, with this, maybe, you know, maybe the, this is something for the manufacturers. Maybe this is something for our, you know, for our clinics. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, I think we need to investigate it within more populations as well, you know, um, but it's, I think it's on us to establish more of a foundation with, with this device and see if there is, if we can reach some standardization so, so it can be used by a wider population, right? Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's just gonna take uh, more work. But yeah, classification, objective classification of shoe characteristics that can be linked to injury risk. I mean, that's the key, you know? Um, so 
I think we just we have we have more work to do, but I, I think that that device and the the observations we made, I think, is is a big step in that direction. Great, Don. What are your thoughts as well? Any other summaries? Yeah, as you said, you know the, the shoes on those extreme stiffness and heel heights were the were the ones that that got folks injured in this environment. Keep in mind, in, in this environment, not trying to. Um, make generalizations across the board, but I just want to echo, we want to thank all the smart people that helped us develop these things and our team of, you know, we had 20 or 24 volunteers that helped us wow. through all these stations that Gary was describing for these other things that we looked at. And so we couldn't have done it without all those people volunteering. And, and we should probably also give a disclaimer. We should have done this maybe at the beginning, but we're, we're uh, military officers, but our, these, these statements are our opinions and, and don't represent the, the Army or the DOD um, medical department. You know, it's just Don and Gary. Uh, <laughs> Appreciate you doing that, Don. Not <laughs> <laughs> to count on you. <laughs> I, I, well, I, from, from my standpoint, hearing your opinions is still very, very helpful. So I appreciate you take, guys taking the time today and, and giving some clarification to your work and, and uh, letting us g give a little peek behind the curtain at West Point and see what sort of a fantastic operation you guys have. Absolutely. Thanks for having us on, Brian. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity, Brian. Absolutely. Well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. On behalf of my co-host, Jeremy Stoker, who will be here next week or next month, rather, we'd like to thank you for tuning in. And as a reminder, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. Register for the 2020 Mountland Running Summit is open, so check out the full programming online at summit.mlrehab.com. As always, you can find more information on all the running medicine resources offered by Mountland Physical Therapy at mlrehab.com slash run. We'll see you next time. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Exercises that are safe and appropriate for some people may not be for you. No treatment program should be undertaken without first consulting your physical therapist or physician. The contents of this podcast is protected under United States copyright laws and may not be reproduced, redistributed, transmitted, displayed, published, or broadcast without prior written permission of Mountainland Physical Therapy.